Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. We're here for another episode of Film Study. Uh, this is a Know Your Foe episode prior to the divisional play- playoff game between the Ravens and Titans. And joining us is Titans expert Michael Herndon. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. How about you? Can't complain, not one little bit. This is the right time for us to be talking prospectively about football as opposed to, say, the draft, huh? Absolutely, yeah. That's uh, That's been a nice change for uh, Titans, uh, Titans fans over the last... Uh, few years it's been a little bit of a dry run but it's, it's good to be kind of back in the mix here all right very good uh lots of things changed about the about the way the titans 
we're approaching football this year, starting with the big change at, at quarterback with Marcus Mariota. Now, the last time these two teams met, Marcus Mariota was the starting quarterback for the Titans. Joe Flacco was the starting quarterback for the Ravens. The Ravens had a field day defensively with 11 sacks, but six of those were, for, were from players who are no longer with the team now. So a lot of change on both sides. And we kind of want to focus on that, I think, primarily is talk. take us through some of the changes that occurred with the 2019 Titans. So uh, this season versus last has, has been pretty wildly different. Um, you know, last season the Titans were a – you know, defense-led football team, I would say, is fair to say. They they struggled offensively most of the season. Um, they had some good moments, you know, the the Patriots game being being kind of the standout, the Cowboys game uh, kind of in the middle of the season there where they got hot for a little bit. But, you know, last year was kind of a strange season with the Mariota nerve injury and, and some of the questions around his health and what was going on there all season. They had lost Delaney Walker, of course. Um, so they were, it was, it was a bit of an odd season, terrible year offensively, but the defense kind of kept them alive and, and pushed them into the, uh, the playoff discussion heading into the end of the year. Obviously they fell short, uh, when Mariota couldn't go in that week 17 game, but the change this year, you know, a new offensive coordinator, first of all, um, you know, this off season, they obviously lost Matt LaFleur who went to go be uh, head coach of the green Bay Packers. Um, and they promoted, Longtime tight ends coach Arthur Smith uh, as the new offensive coordinator. He's actually he's been with the team uh, since 2011. He's the longer longest tenured uh, coach on the staff. Um, he started with Mike Munchak, survived the coaching change to Ken Wisenhunt, survived the coaching change to Mike Malarkey, and then survived the coaching change to Mike Vrabel. So he's definitely uh, a, a well-respected guy in that building. Um, and you don't make it through that many coaching regime changes without knowing a little bit of what you're doing. Um, the, the start to this season, it, it took a little bit for him to get going. You know, obviously, Mariota was a starter to, to get going on the season. They had the big blowout win over the Browns in week one, and everybody thought, oh, here we go. Mariota's going to figure it out and, and get rolling. But really, you know, the, the wheels kind of came off for Mariota finally this season. They, he'd been kind of teetering. Um, and uh, as soon as they made the switch to Ryan Tannehill in week six, it, the light just flipped on for this offense. It was immediate. They scored. They've now scored 20 points or more in every single game uh, since Ryan, Ryan Tannehill took over uh, in week seven. Um, they've scored. They had scored 35 points or more in four of the last seven uh, heading into the Patriots game this week. Um, so they really have become an explosive offense. They are not the Titans that you are probably used to seeing um, with the plotting. You know, yes, they still have the big running back, and and they still do lean heavily on the running game. But when they do pass, they're explosive with it. A lot of that is Ryan Tannehill. He's been outstanding. Um, but then a lot of it also is is a set of weapons that have really kind of come on. It's a young group uh, led by rookie A.J. Brown. Uh, Corey Davis is is not putting up big numbers, but he is playing well. Um, and then Jonu Smith, the young tight end, has really kind of emerged as a playmaker uh, in this offense. They find a lot of ways to get him the ball uh, in different ways. 
Okay, well, let's start with Tannehill because that's the biggest change, obviously, for this team to, to have him come in at midseason. A guy who has not had a whole lot of success with the Dolphins in the past. At least it's been mixed. The Ravens have certainly been very effective against Tannehill in the past when he was with Miami. What made the change in him so abrupt and so well differentiated when he came to Tennessee and all of a sudden is the league leader, I think, in quarterback rating, right? Yeah, quarterback rating and yards per attempt. He uh, he was the first quarterback since Joe Montana to complete over 70% of his passes and have over nine yards per attempt in the season. So it, it has really been remarkable what he's done as, as the Titans quarterback. And, you know, I think there there's something to the idea that one he's he's obviously a great fit for this offense. They're doing things quite a bit differently than what Adam Gase did in Miami, and then before him, uh, obviously with with Philbin uh, at the beginning of his career and um, his his old uh, college offensive coordinator Sherman down there at the very beginning. But you know they are a play action based passing attack. It is. Everything is built off of the running game and Derrick Henry, and it allows Tannehill, who is is very good on these bootlegs and waggles and things like that, that they love to kind of play off of that outside zone run. Uh, he's very good. He's very good on the move, very good on a rolling pocket, um, and he's been incredibly accurate. And the biggest thing that I've noticed that's a difference with him is his aggressiveness. He is not afraid to throw the ball into tight windows. He's he's trusting his arm. He looks like he trusts his, his targets and his receivers. And his receivers have come up with some really good plays and really tough, contested catches uh, repeatedly. And that's only further gained his confidence. I'm noticing in the in the next-gen stats that he's the sixth best, sixth best, sixth worst. I don't know whether you think of that in terms of aggressiveness percentage which yep. means that 19.6% of his passes are within one yard of a defender. Yep. Yeah, and that, that matches up with the film. He is um, – it, and it, it was evident from the very start uh, in the Chargers game, the first game that he, he played as a starter. There were four or five passes in that game where he just threaded a needle into a, into a situation where they're – you know, by, even by NFL standards, the guy was not open. But he, he was able to thread it in and make the play and, and – you know, that aggressiveness does come back to bite him sometimes. He's, he's got, I think, six interceptions on the year. Um, he he tends to he tends to want to make plays, though. And that's, that's been really my biggest uh, frustration with Mariota prior to uh, this season and him being benched was the fact that he was very tentative. If, the, if a guy was not very open, he was going to hold the ball and you trust his legs to get him out of trouble. Tannehill will throw the ball in there and make plays. Well, he's been he has been terrific in terms of beating his expected completion percentage too. Seventy point three percent actual and only six sixty two point two expected. That's similar to Jackson, by the way, this year in terms of what he's got. Jackson actually is only point point eight better than his expected at sixty six point one. But uh, Tannehill really ex- an exceptional season. Um, you mentioned the play action because that's one of the big things for both teams in this game is going to be how they pl- use the play action game. What do you what do you see in the Ravens linebackers or how do you see that working against the Ravens linebackers in terms of play action or what the Ravens show in terms of dime looks? Yeah, so the the interesting thing with the Titans and really the way their offense functions is it's all like I said it's all kind of based around Derrick Henry and if you commit to stopping Derrick Henry and your linebackers are really re- reading their run keys aggressively 
uh, like you really need to do to reach some of these outside zone runs and to get to Henry before he gets up to speed. You know, it, it obviously it takes your linebackers out of position, and then the Titans will eat you up over the middle of the field. Brian Tannehill passer rating over the middle of the field, I believe, was in the 150s, almost you know very close to perfect. Um, and most of that is these short, you know, short to intermediate crossing routes. They love to get A.J. Brown and Corey Davis breaking into the middle of the field where they can get them the ball uh, in that pocket where the linebackers have vacated and then let them make plays after the catch. That is really the bread and butter of this passing attack. They, they love to, uh, to run that play action and then hit crosses. Okay. And I, I would say that had been a particular weakness of the Ravens linebackers before they basically retooled the entire unit at midseason. Don't know how familiar, familiar you are with this, but uh, they started the year with uh, Peanut Owasso as the Mike linebacker and the green dot. They took the green dot away from him, gave it to Tony Jefferson. Jefferson got hurt. They gave it to Chuck Clark, who's a strong safety, and he's now got it for the rest of the season. It's very much gelled the defense on that side. But they also brought in uh, L.J. Fort, who's been a very good dime linebacker, meaning not the dime backer, but the lone inside linebacker who plays with a dime backer uh, okay. next to him. So that's that's really helped a lot in terms of uh, how the Ravens have defended some of these uh, short crossing passes. And, and some of the intuition he's had has been very good. Josh Bynes has been the guy on, on runs who would be more likely to be in there on a base package or a, uh, a standard nickel package where they're trying to, to flow to the edge. And no. take away that run. No, did, did, will they stick in dime in against twelve personnel in, in some no of your tight end packages? No, I, I, I would expect the question would be base or a jumbo nickel in okay. in that situation. But I wanted to ask you the same thing: was do the Titans run a fair amount from eleven personnel, or do they even choose by team how they want to attack other teams in the run game? Yeah, they they do choose by team uh, a lot of times. So the Titans. Um, they have fluctuated throughout the season. There were, there was, there's been a few games where they've gone, you know, up into the 80 and 90% range on 11 personnel usage. There's other games where they're down in the 30, 40% range and they're using a lot of 12 personnel. Um, it really does vary by matchup. They've got, uh, Johnny Smith can do a little bit of both. Um, but then Truett is really a blocking tight end. He's, he's not much of a threat. Um, and then the Titans also use uh, Anthony Furtzer, who is essentially almost like a jumbo slot receiver for them. He's technically a tight end, uh, but they will bring him out and, and especially on third downs, kind of use him as a third down tight end. Uh, almost he made a couple big plays in the uh, uh, win over the Patriots this week. And um, then the other guy to watch there is Kari Blossingham, who's a uh, rookie fullback that they picked off of uh, the Vikings practice squad midway through the season, and he's really played very well. They, they've gone to more of a – they really like the kind of 22 package where they'll have both, both Johnny Smith and Pruitt on the line, and then they'll come back with, uh, with Blasingame as the lead blocker in front of Henry. They like to run a lot out of that uh, here recently. Um, so I would expect to see a lot of heavy personnel from the Titans in this game. Okay. Now, f let's go back to Ferkser for a second, because he certainly had an impressive game against New England with the touchdown catch and whatnot. Um, is he, you called him a jumbo slot receiver. Does he line up in line as a tight end very often or as an H-back, or is he primarily a split tight end who is just a little bit bigger body than the other receivers? Yeah, he's going to be more often than not a split tight end. So they, they will actually line him up in the slot or split him out wide. 
usually he'll be in on third downs. Sometimes he'll come in on early downs, but uh, he is definitely a guy to watch. And we don't know what the status of Adam Humphreys, the, the Titans' primary slot receiver, is going to be for this game. But if Humphreys does not play, Burtzer becomes a bigger factor because he's going to run a lot of the same same routes that they would use uh, Humphreys for, a lot of the little option routes uh, that they like to run on third downs to kind of get a, a one-on-one matchup against a, a linebacker or safety for Furtzer. Um, usually you want to put a safety on Furtzer because most linebackers, you know, he's he's not exceptionally fast, but he is quick and he's an outstanding route runner. So um, most linebackers are not going to be able to hold, hold their own against Furtzer one-on-one. So this is Ravens are one of the teams in the league who likes to use big nickel as opposed to there's three there's three types of nickel as I define it. So there's the standard nickel, which is the one, two, 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 three corners, two safeties. Okay, with me on that, two down linemen, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, three corners, two safeties. If when they go to to the big nickel, they they replace a, a corner with a safety in the slot. Okay. okay, so they play three safeties. And the Ravens are one of the few teams that really likes to do that. So they have personnel to do it. We may see that given how uh, run-oriented the Titans are. But the other other possibility is, we, and this is what I think we'll see a lot of, is I don't think we'll see the standard nickel too much as much as the um, the jumbo nickel, which adds an extra defensive lineman and takes out an inside linebacker. So it's okay. the three-three-five nickel in Madden, it's called also. Uh, have, have the Titans run into that yet this year, where they've had anybody that, that really wanted to spread their line in that way and dare Henry to force the run inside effectively? Um, so they really haven't, and we kind of expected to see a little bit of that against the Patriots this week. That's a lot of what uh, they did against the Rams uh, in the Super Bowl last year, and the Patriots really basically sat back in a too-high safety look most of the game mm-hmm. and decided that they were not going to let the play-action chunk plays beat them, and you know, you saw what Derrick Henry did against you know what was essentially a seven-man box that he ran against. Uh, the entire game, um, and that's that's really kind of the conflict that the Titans want to put you in is is kind of a a choice between stopping Henry and stopping that play action passing game, and the Patriots chose to stop the play action passing game, and frankly, I think they made the right choice. I mean, the Titans offense, you know, Henry had a huge game, but they mm-hmm. effectively eliminated the the Titans passing game and held them to just you know, really 14 points of offense. Um, and if I was the Ravens, that would be the tact I would take. I, you know, let Henry get his, but you cannot let A.J. Brown and, you know, Corey Davis and, and Johnny Smith get going in that passing game because then it really becomes difficult to stop. Well, the Ravens have allowed their worst ever yards per carry this year, but a lot of that has actually been done in the name of past defense. This is the first Ravens team that I can remember ever that really had to make choices between the two because every Ravens passing or defense in previous years could stop the run very effectively versus 11 personnel with their standard nickel. They had great outside linebackers to set the edge, huge bodies on the inside, and good linebackers to flow to the play, which is exactly what you need to easily basically combat that. But you, with with the uh, with this year, they've had to really make choices, and a lot of the yardage they've given up has been late in games when they made a conscious choice with the lead to allow some running effective running against them. They had a couple long runs, but in the Houston game allowed, uh, and uh, some against Buffalo as well, where they. The, the dime defense had the strangest game that game. i got to tell you this. They, they had 9.7 yards per carry allowed 
versus on run plays against their dime, which seems terrible. It was only nine plays, though. 20 pass plays against that dime defense. They allowed eight total yards for oh four yards per play. So it was a good trade-off, even though right. they, you know, they gave up some big plays. And same as you're kind of talking about the Patriots. Yeah, and that that to me is is the way to handle the Titans. If you if you load up and try to stop Henry, Tannehill has proven over the last you know 10, 10, 11 weeks that he is more than capable of picking you apart. And really, they get into, I mean, it's not just you know nickel and diming on on little crossers. They they break these things for big gains. AJ Brown had. Uh, four touchdowns of 40 yards or more um, it, it, this season. Um, you know, Smith has a bunch of huge chunk plays. The Titans actually, uh, I know the Ravens finished the season as the top uh, team in explosive play rate, uh, sharp football stats uh, metric that keeps up with, I think it's 10 plus uh, rushing plays and 15 plus passing plays. The Titans were number two in that rate this year. And if you really isolate just the Tannehill uh, part of that schedule, they were number one. So um, the Titans are very capable of, of blowing up in the passing game if you try to com- overcommit to Henry. And that's that's really what they want you to do, I think. Is is there any – I mean, the Ravens are very much built fr- uh, back to front defensively now. Didn't used to be the case, but that's really the case now. They spent a lot of money on the secondary. They've got good players there, especially at both corners or at all three corner spots, really. Is that a place where you think the the Titans will be somewhat timid about attacking in this game? Um, it, it'll be interesting to see. They, you know, obviously against the Patriots, who have a similar secondary as far mm-hmm. as you know, Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, uh, those guys are very talented as well. Uh, maybe not quite on the level that, that Baltimore has, but uh, one of the better groups in the league for sure. Um, I think the Titans were a little bit. Uh, timid as far as deciding whether to attack that i don't know if that was game plan specific but against uh against other good quarters so Marshawn Lattimore um uh, a couple weeks ago when the titans played the saints he followed uh aj brown all over the field and the titans pretty much avoided Lattimore in that game they chose to attack elsewhere in the passing game the offense had a pretty good game obviously ended up falling short that was the game where they decided to rest henry but um yeah, they, they have, against elite corners, they have tended to avoid them. Now, obviously, with the Ravens, it's hard to, to avoid them because that's all the corners are uh, are borderline elite there. So, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you're probably going to see them attack the matchup that they like the best out of that group. And that may be, you know, I don't... I don't know that the Ravens do a lot of uh, shadowing as far as what I've uh, from what I've seen. I'm still kind of early in my my tape review on on them, but uh, if they if they don't shadow, I would expect them to try to get matchups with AJ Brown. Um, you know, against maybe maybe not against Jimmy Smith because I feel like Smith is probably the best suited to take away Brown because of the physicality. Um, I, I think they would like to get Brown against uh, Peters as good as he is. I think Brown can beat him physically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's been interesting, but since Peters has arrived, he's pretty much played a hundred percent of his snaps or close to a hundred percent of his snaps at left corner 
uh, you know, when on times where you don't overload one side of the field with three receivers, of course. Sure. But but uh, they've had Smith at right corner for pretty much all the snaps that he's in. And Humphrey has become a slot corner on a lot of snaps. Now, sometimes they play a base defense, but a lot of snaps where, where they have all three corners in, they uh, they really have moved Humphrey to the slot. He's effectively playing out of position. And I, I've not got nothing but good things to say about what he's done this year. Yeah, he's he's been excellent from what I've seen and, and heard. Um, but in, of course, with the Titans not really having, if Humphreys, Adam Humphreys, you know, uh, does not play for the Titans in this game, they'll be playing Tajay Sharp mostly in the slot. Um, they really rotate all three of their guys in there from time to time. Um, but Brown mostly stays outside, which is kind of interesting considering, uh, his draft, uh, pre-draft, the biggest, you know, detractor, uh, I guess, uh, on his pre-draft evaluation was mostly that he almost exclusively played in the slot at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. That has not been the case for the Titans. He is an outside receiver. I believe he's over 85, 90% outside snaps uh, over the course of the season. And that's that's really how they, they use him. They will rotate Davis and Sharp into the slot if Humphreys does not play. If Humphreys does play, it'll be almost exclusively Humphreys in there. Okay. Well, he certainly had a fantastic rookie year. We We have a a coach who comes on the show a couple times a year, maybe maybe he's been on about four times this year, and he actually coached against him when he was in high school, and he talked about what a handful he was even then to, to take care of, which you'd expect, of course. But uh, oh, the other guy he coached against was DJ Metcalf. So oh, that's, wow. that's, a, that's a tough conference. <laughs> that, that absolutely is. Yeah, those, those two have, uh, have been outstanding this year. And, and Brown is, is interesting. He's, he's really kind of – he turns into a running back after the catch, and he really is – a handful to bring down six foot two twenty six, Um, and he, he runs like it too. So he is, he will run to contact. He will run through people. Um, you have to absolutely bring, you have to bring your full effort as a defensive back. Once he does catch the ball, because he is a handful. And you mentioned physicality would be something Jimmy Smith could apply, but I mean, that's a much bigger man than Jimmy Smith is. Now, I mean, not saying that, you know, Jimmy can't do some things positively. He probably is the Ravens' most physical corner. The question is, you know, can he really impact a player like that who's so big at the line of scrimmage? I mean, that's almost Daryl Boston kind of size for a receiver. Absolutely, yeah. He's he's very unique uh, in the way that he plays, and he does uh, he does present some major issues. The guys that have given him more trouble, uh, you know, this year, obviously Lattimore um, gave him some trouble. And then last last week with the Patriots, you know, it, it's hard to tell how much of that was just the fact that they only threw the ball 15 times in that game. Um, but, you know, Brown was pretty quiet with just the one catch for four yards. So, um, you know, but since really the bye week, he's been he was the NFL's leading receiver from week 12 to through week 17. So um, he's really taken off as the season has gone on and he is an interesting matchup problem for defenses to have to deal with yeah wow i'm just looking at the yardage totals here the last six games of the year for brown 135 45 153 114 34 124 that's ridiculous it's not even that many catches he only had 25 catches in those last six games for a ridiculous amount of yardage yeah and that doesn't even count the 49 yard touchdown run that he had against the saints as well so he did make an impact in that game even though he only had the one one catch for 30 something uh, through the air, but he has been uh, an absolute 
joy to watch this year because he is he's incredible with the ball in his hands and a lot of that is after the catch he led the nfl in uh uh you know the, the nfl has the next gen stat for expect or yards after catch over expected which is basically taking into account the the location and separation of the receiver uh, mm-hmm. when he catches the ball and brown i think nearly doubled the next best player uh as far as yards over, yards after catch over expected and the second best player was actually titans tight end johnny smith so they have got wow. some guys that are really good uh once they get the ball in their hands at the second level yeah i'm 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 looking at a, a very high yak number as a percentage of his total yards it looks like it well it looks like it's roughly 45 percent of his total yards for the season according yep. to the source i'm looking at here yeah that sounds about right all right. Outstanding. So, you know, beyond we talked a little bit about Derrick Henry and we talked a little bit about Tannehill and, and obviously about Brown, but they've gone eight and three in the last 11 games. They've had signature wins over the Chiefs and the Pats. They had the playoff clincher to get in. I'm talking about against Houston, which is that was a very necessary and important week. I think they probably got a little bit of that handed to them by who the Texans were sitting, but still good. Sure. Um, what gelled during that period? So really the I mean obviously that that eight and three run marks back exactly to the day that, that Ryan Tannehill took over as the starter and, and he's reason one A as far as the the change in results. I mean it the, like I said earlier, the light switch flipped on for the offense. They went from uh, I think it the time that he took over, they were twenty ninth in uh, football outsiders offensive DVOA. Uh, they finished the season sixth uh, in that, that metric. Uh, that's including those first six games. So the uh, the difference was massive, and really it was it was an offensive led change. The Titans defense was actually quite good those first six weeks of the season. Um, you know they were carrying them for the most part, keeping them in games, um, but the offense wasn't holding their weight, and it really completely flipped after that. And the Titans became an offensive led team. Uh, Derrick Henry's been good all year, but obviously Tannehill's insertion changed the way that teams had to defend the Titans' offense in general. And Henry really can, he took off. He tends to get better as the season goes on, anyways. He is uh, truly a freak of nature. He's one of the best conditioned, conditioned athletes you'll ever watch at the running back position. He does not get tired, he does not come out of games. He gets better in the in the you know second half of games. He gets better in the second half of seasons, um, and he emerged late last year. Uh, you know, I know the when the Titans and Ravens played the first time, Deion Lewis was still technically the starting running back for the Titans, um, and Henry kind of emerged right around week ten or week eleven last season. And ever ever since then, he's been on fire, but. Uh, Tannehill took that to a new level in the offensive line has kind of come along at the same time. It's really kind of hard to separate, you know, what the the offensive line did versus what Tannehill did for the offense as a whole. But early in the season, you had a new left guard and a new right guard. Um, And the new right guard was a rookie in Nate Davis. The new left guard was uh, Roger Saffold, who they signed in the offseason. Um, Taylor Lewan was suspended for the first four games uh, and, you know, he got back in and then he had to kind of form a chemistry with 
with Saffold and, and it just took a while for all the pieces and parts to come together on that offensive front. They were really bad about uh, dealing with stunts and, and games up front for the longest period of time this season. Um, but they really kind of started to settle that down. And in the run game, they're really starting to assert their will on the game. Um, and you saw that against New England. They just they bullied bullied New England front seven uh, throughout that game and really created a lot of room for for Derrick Henry to get going. Yeah, yeah, they sure did. I mean, go, going back to the point you made earlier about Devoa, uh, and 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 you you don't want to include those early games of the year. You want to include them at less weight. But the weighted Devoa for the offense or Tennessee is is third in the whole NFL and is not very far behind the Ravens. It's the Ravens, the Saints, and then the Titans one, two, and three. In, in weighted Devoa right now. And that's, you know, that should give you an idea of the measure of risk that this game has. Looking at the at the seeds, the four, five, and six seeds, which are the three the Ravens could have played, I thought it was pretty clear Tennessee was the, was the worst, uh, was the best team of the group that would present the most difficult matchup for the Ravens. And, and Houston, the only reason I would fear them a little bit is that J.J. Watt is a very polarizing figure. None of what he's done is woven into any of Houston's defensive results, which have pretty well sucked uh, you know, for, for this season. And so the question comes, if, is Houston going to be able to give Kansas City a game? But, uh, but Tennessee is, is a, uh, it would have been the team of the three that I would have feared the most. Yeah, and the, the Titans have... Um... They've been very dangerous, even even in the games that they lost down the stretch. You know, they lost to Houston uh, in New Orleans in Nashville in back-to-back weeks in week 15 and 16. The Texans game was really kind of a strange when they had a – they sorted out the game. The Titans were pretty much in control early, and then they threw a, uh, a pass on the goal line um to Anthony Ferkser and the ball just kind of got popped out it was a really nice play by Texas safety Jet mm-hmm. and it popped right into Whitney Merciless's hands who turned and ran almost all the way back for a touchdown so it it started off with a 14 point swing right there um the, the Texans would score I think two plays after that so um that really kind of swung the game and then uh you know the the Saints game the Titans were back and forth, and they actually had a chance to come down and win that game late. And uh, they had Khalif Raymond get knocked out on the field. He, he actually got popped in the head uh, and fumbled um, as he kind of lost consciousness, it appeared, um, on his way down. And uh, the Saints recovered and returned it, and there was no flag uh, thrown on the, on the play. And the Titans were driving. I think they were down three. They were crossing midfield uh, with four minutes left. So. Those were two games that they, the two games that they dropped, they were in very much in the won. fourth quarter. Um, so they have not been blown out uh, in quite some time. They've, they've been in, in every game and they, they have a nasty habit of sticking around uh, until the fourth quarter, which also is their, the quarter where they've really performed the best. Uh, the Titans are a plus, I think, nine, plus, plus 94, I think, uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, this year, which six is points a game. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's turn the discussion to the offense a little bit. And you talked about some of the offensive linemen, particularly with in 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 the context of the run game. But take us from left to right across that offensive line in terms of who there is, and remembering that that Ravens fans do not generally know who the players are, even the stars like Luan. Uh, you know, what are they? Who these guys are? Sure. So yeah, so it starts uh, starts up front with Luan uh, at left tackle. 
Um, he's been around uh, since I think he was drafted in 2011. Um, uh, he's one of the best left tackles in the game. He's a, a complete freak athlete. He's um, one of these guys. He ran, I believe, in the the four eights or four nines as an offensive lineman at six six and you know 310 pounds roughly. Uh, he is an extreme athlete. When he is focused, he is one of the the best offensive linemen in the NFL. He's a three-time Pro Bowler. Um, He does have a tendency to lose focus at times. I don't think that's going to be as much of an issue in a game as big as this one. Um, But usually when he's locked in, he is about as good as you're going to see, uh, you know, in in the NFL at left tackle. And and his athleticism is a real asset for them. They like to use use him to get out on screens and things like that and really kind of take advantage of his ability to get out and run. Um, and then next to him is, is left guard Roger Saffold, who um, came over from the Rams uh, this off season. He, they paid him, uh, you know, right around $11 million a year. Um, he's one of, he was one of the best left guards in football the last two years in LA. He was a second team all pro, I believe in uh, 2017. Um, and he started pretty rough here. He had he had some bad bad blow ups and pass protection where he just you know it, it almost seemed like I don't know if he was not focused or if he was just getting used to a new team or, or what the transition period was for him. But those first uh, first few weeks when he was without Lawan next to him, he really struggled. But then as those two have started to play together and gotten into a rhythm on that left side they've become a real force and that is the bread and butter of the Titans offense is running outside zone left behind Lawan and Saffold. Mm-hmm. Um, those two are both extremely athletic. They're both capable of executing difficult reach blocks that are necessary for that play to, to function. Saffold particularly is great at climbing to the second level and picking off linebackers. Um, so they're going to run a lot to the left, a lot of outside zone, a lot of stretch. Um, and then they're going to, they're going to scream back to that side too. They, they love to get that going. So those, those two are really the best two offensive linemen, uh, on the Titans that, you know, that left side is very strong for them. Um, okay. Nate, let me stop you for, for a second. So you mentioned, uh, you know, the possibility of doing outside zone to that side. Do they run a fair amount of power that way? Do they use a pulling guard fairly often from right to left or from left to right, which is their preferred side? So they, they do mix in uh, a little bit of power as well. They do prefer to pull left uh, when they're going to go. So they will pull right guard Nate Davis, who is a rookie, uh, third-round pick out of Charlotte. Um, he is uh, he's primarily their puller if they're going to go power, but uh, they really like to load up that left side and, and run behind uh, uh, Saffold in the lawn. Okay. And, and how is Saffold? Saffold is an ex-tackle, correct? Yes, he used to play, yeah. yeah. Okay. So how has he been in terms of uh, uh, holding the gate open, so to speak, on those power runs left? So he, he does a nice job. He is um, surprisingly powerful for a guy that's as kind of long-limbed. And, you know, he does look like a tackle out there. He doesn't really have a guard's body. Um, but for a guy of, of that kind of build, he is surprisingly powerful. And they, they really generate – the most movement up front when they get loaded up behind Saffold and, and kind of let him, you know, anchor in and pin right there in that hole. 
Okay, very good. Very good. Okay, so keep going. You haven't gone through center and, and to right tackle either. Right, so uh, Ben Jones is the center. He has been there. Um, this is his uh, fifth year with the Titans. He is um, – oh, no, I'm sorry. This is fourth year with the Titans. He is uh, not a special athlete. I think he's a, a pretty average athlete. He's not a, a terribly overpowering player, but he's, he's powerful enough. Uh, PFF grades him out as, uh, I think, the third best tackle in the NFL this year. This has been his best season as a pro. Um, he's 29, uh, so he's kind of been a little bit of a late bloomer. But he's been solid uh, ever since he, he came over to the Titans from uh, Houston uh, four years ago. So he's kind of the quarterback of the offensive line. He very much makes uh, makes a lot of the calls up front or, uh, you know, court collaborates with Tannehill on those those protection calls um he's a smart guy he's very good when it comes to climbing and getting cut blocks on linebackers he's when the titans have their their most successful outside zone runs a lot of the times it is jones getting up and cutting down the the mike linebacker um before he can get outside and really kind of piling up that backside of the the pursuit um, to let Henry have those cutback lanes. So uh, Jones is very good at that. He's got great technique when it comes to, uh, to cutting uh, at the second level. And that's something that you'll see him do a lot. Um, moving over to right guard, Nate Davis uh, is a rookie. He was really, really rough during the first part of the year. They, I don't think they really intended him to be a starter uh, as quickly as he became one. He was kind of forced into action by a uh, injury right before their first game to right guard uh, Kevin Pamphile. Um, they played uh, Jamil Douglas there the first few games, and he was mostly a train wreck there. Uh, he was really, really kind of poor. Uh, but once they got Davis inserted, um, it took him – Took him a while, but his best four games of the season have been the last four games of the season. He's he's started to click and come on. He's a good athlete. He's got a really a he is your prototypical guard build. He's he's a thick thighed, thick bodied guy. He uh, you know is is powerful. He's he's quick enough. He's not um, he's not the athlete that Saffold is as far as climbing to the second level, but he is he is quick enough to execute in this zone scheme. Um, but he's played much better of late and is no longer kind of the glaring, uh, flashing, blinking, horrible red light on the offensive line that he was <laughs> early in the season. Er early in the season, it was almost a guaranteed sack if you ran any sort of game to the right side of the Titans line just because he struggled so much picking that up. Um, but he is, he's really improved, and it's credit to the, uh, the offensive line. Uh, Coach Keith Carter kind of working with him and develop, developing him while the bullets have been flying here this season. Um, and then right tackle has been Jack Conklin. He's been here uh, you know, for, for this is his fourth year as well, or third year, I'm sorry, with the Titans. He uh, started off his first season as a pro was all pro. Um, I think that was probably maybe a little uh, inflated by kind of the scheme that the Titans ran and, and, made him look maybe a little better than he was, but he was excellent in 2017. He struggled massively in 2018 as he tried to return from an ACL injury that he suffered in the playoffs after the 2017 season, but he has bounced back and he's really back to 
his usual form uh, over there on the right side. He's he graded out as PFFs, I think, 11th best tackle uh, in the NFL this season, and he's played. He's been really solid. He's not the athlete that Lawan is, but he can uh, he can move people. He can generate some push, and he's good in pass protection. As it relates to the Ravens and to the AFC South in general, you have three choices in that 2016 draft. So you had there were three left tackles who went early, of course, and that was the pot mask incident for Laramie Tunsil, That's who right. then really I think he would have been the Ravens' pick at number six, but the Ravens then got Ronnie Stanley, and that really worked out for them. Yep. Jack Conklin at number eight, and then Tunsil not till number thirteen. Is that still the order? Is that the order you would pick them in today? I, it probably would be. Um, I think uh, there's no doubt that Stanley has been you know a, an outstanding player, and obviously playing on that left side. Um, for Baltimore, he's, he's been, he's really developed into a really good player. Um, Tunsil, Tunsil has been better than I maybe thought he was going to be at one point. He struggled early with the Dolphins. He's gotten better, but his penalties and some of the concentration issues that he still has, you know, for me, and, and I, this may be a little scheme specific with the Titans for me with what Jack Conklin does. For them, I would rather have Conklin than Tunsil, uh, especially given some of the uh, the penalty issues, because those can just be such a killer um, for an offense. I know Brian Baldinger came out with some very harsh cutting words earlier in the season about what a much better player Laramie Tunsil was than Stanley that Baltimore fans didn't take too too well, but uh, it is what it is, and we are, I think, opinions are allowed to change, and hopefully this has changed by now. But uh, but Conklin, a terrific player, and, and it really looked, with that first selection, like the Titans had pilfered the best left tackle in the draft. And Stanley had a good rookie year, but Conklin was just outstanding, and, and uh, it really looked like he was, he was the guy. And I guess we still don't know. You know, it's fairly early in these guys' careers. Conklin's in year four now, so where is he in terms of uh, extension at this point? So they actually declined his fifth-year option prior to this season. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was it was a shocking move. Well, I, I guess it wasn't shocking necessarily, but it is surprising given how, given how well he's played since. Um, but when you really look at the numbers, I think it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, he's played right tackle for the Titans. Uh, before Lane Johnson's contract, Trent Brown was really kind of a outlier um, as far as the right tackle market. Um, and the fifth year option for Conklin would have paid him $13.3 million as a top 10 pick uh, for next season. So I think they declined it for one because one, they he struggled a lot in 2018 as he was kind of dealing with the knee injury. There was at the time they had to make the decision. There was they did not they had not seen him return to his form yet. And there was some question as to whether he would. Um, so I think that there was a little bit of risk there. And the fact that really at 13.3 million, he wasn't going to be a bargain at right tackle mm-hmm. either way. Um, so what is, what are you gaining by locking in that fifth year without knowing the injury uh, factor and whether he's going to bounce back or not. So I actually think they made the right decision declining it, even if they're going to end up paying maybe a million or two more if they do end up pursuing an extension. And, and his contract situation is going to be one of the more fascinating ones um, for us this offseason because 
Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Jack Conklin, and Logan Ryan are all coming up. And Holy mackerel. The Titans have about uh, $60 million ish in cap space, as things are projecting right now. They can create some more by letting go guys like Deion Lewis and Delaney Walker that seem likely uh, to not be back with the team next year. But um, there, there is going to be a big, a big choice with those top four as far as what the Titans want to spend money on and what they want to commit to. Uh, in the future moving forward. And I personally think Conklin has to be a part of that. You don't, you do not let top 10 to 15 level offensive tackles walk um, at 26 years old. You just do not, do not do that. Okay. I I agree completely. The Ravens are faced with the same thing with Ronnie Stanley coming up with Ravens cap situation is a little uh, more flexible. The Ryan Tannehill thing, I did not realize he was a free agent coming up this off season. So I have to imagine he's going to command a very large number. I mean, he may become the new Kirk Cousins of the NFL in terms of being a journeyman who uh, makes a lot of money. Absolutely. I, I think so. He is um, – yeah, he, he – the funny thing is the Dolphins are actually paying $5 million of his salary this year uh, for him to play for the Titans, and, <laughs> and he has been one of the, the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So the Titans got him on a great deal this year and next year they will be paying handsomely to bring him back. But it does sound like that's going to happen. There's already been progress made on extension talks from what I understand. So. All right. Good to know. Let's, let's keep moving here. And you know, this discussion, I can, I can allow it to go much longer. I don't want to, don't want to speak for your time, of course, but we love having you on Mike and, and we'll go as long as you want to sure. tell us, take us through the wide receiver core and, and, uh, and what you have there. We talked a little bit about the slot receiver situation and a little bit about Brown, but take us through all of them. Yeah. So uh, Brown is, is the, the guy to watch. He is um, like I said before, he's going to play most of his snaps outside. They like to get him. Uh, the ball on crossers, really him and, and Corey Davis, um, they love to run these, you know, Yankee concept uh, type plays where you've got play action, max protect, and then you've got Brown typically running the crossing route and then Davis running the deep post over the top. Um, if they If they get man or single high, uh, looks they are going to go to that frequently um, and that has been a bread and butter play for them that's where a lot of their explosive plays come from um, so I would definitely watch for that if if the Ravens go into cover three or any single high man type types of looks especially on early downs um, so that's kind of their their bread and butter shot play but uh, Brown is is really a pretty excellent route runner for for such a young guy um, he's able to get good releases off the line of scrimmage against press coverage. Um, he's, he's quicker than you would expect a guy that is 226 pounds to be. Uh, he ran a four, four, nine at the, the combine and he does have, uh, some breakaway speed to him when he gets the ball, you know, and, and gets a full head of steam out. Um, he has had several plays that he has taken to the house on, on deep, deep passes where he runs away from the defense. So he is, He's not necessarily a burner in the in the mold of uh, Marquise Brown um, for you guys, but he does have enough speed that to threaten uh, over the top and and to run away from the defense when he does get the ball uh, with some open space. So he's the most dangerous of the group. Um, they would they will like to get him on some screen passes and short short opportunities to put the ball in his hands as well. 
Um, Davis is, is the next guy to watch. He, he was, I think, around 600 yards receiving this year. A lot of people around here are, are pretty disappointed with him numbers-wise, but what Davis brings to the table is, is still pretty good as, a, as far as number two, which is effectively what he is at this point for this team. As far as number two wide receivers go, Davis is a pretty good one. Um, he's got good size at 6'3", 210. Um, like a lot of the pass catchers, and you know, it'll it'll sound like I'm beating a dead horse here, but he is very good after the catch. He's he's one of the uh, you know he's I think in the top ten percent uh, in yards after catch above expected um, among all pass catchers this year. So he's another guy to watch. You know, getting getting the ball into open space. He's a tough physical player. Um, he's really one of the biggest things that he's brought to the table is uh, his blocking. He is an outstanding blocker for a wide receiver. They will use him on uh, crack toss and, and things like that to come pinch down and, uh, and collapse the defensive end. Um, I can show you cutups of him blocking Joey Bosa and guys like that uh, <laughs> this season where, I mean, he, he is a physical, physical blocker. And a lot of the plays where you see, uh, these guys making long touchdown runs, you'll find 84 downfield uh, throwing some blocks and getting them into the end zone. Obviously, you know, you don't draft a guy number five overall to become a blocking wide receiver, um, but that does bring value to this offense, and it is an important part of this offense. Um, so if you throw out the draft slot, um, which really is sunk cost at this point anyways, I think you've got to be pretty happy with what you get from Corey Davis week in and week out. Um, despite his size, he's really not as much of a red zone threat as you'd expect. I think he's only got six career touchdown catches um, and only two this season. Um, so he's he's been a little bit of a disappointment there, but um, the Titans run so much in the red zone anyways. There's generally few uh, opportunities for uh, red zone passing touchdowns for, for some of these wide receivers. Um, Massive set of outside receivers. I mean, yes, both of them are very big men for, for this league. And this is a league where there are some guys 6'4 and 6'5 playing the wide receiver position, but there aren't too many tandems that are 6'2 and 6'3 playing together. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Ravens obviously have a 5'9 guy on one side of of, uh, of their formation. Right, yeah. And it, it is a big physical group. Every Really, that is the common theme throughout this offense is they are big and they are extremely physical. Um and uh, Humphreys is really the one deviation from that. He, you know, he's a 5'10", 190, uh, 195 kind of guy. Um, he's, he's a tough player, uh, but he's, he's really more of a third down specialist if he does play. You know, he's been out for, uh, I think he's going on five weeks with an ankle injury now. And he did not practice at all last week and was ruled out on Friday. So, uh, there's a pretty decent chance that he does not play for a six straight week. Um, but if he does go, he is a help to them on third downs. He's a very good route runner. Tannehill trusts him. He, he's good at making contested catches. And he's kind of that annoying little, little you know, quick receiver that, that'll hurt you on, you know, a third and five when it looks like everything should be bottled up and he just kind of pops out and, and makes a catch. So, um they paid a lot of money for him to come do that this year. He's not put up huge numbers, but he's been effective in, in what they do ask him to do. Um, and then Tajay Sharp would be the other, 
Well, actually, I, I'll say Tajay Sharp is has been good for this team. He's more of a uh, zone type receiver. He's not particularly good at separating against man. He's he's another bigger guy uh, at six two. Um, I think he's a little over two hundred pounds. He's a little bit more wiry than uh, Davis or Brown are, but uh, very sure-handed, really good with making toe taps, uh, making making catches along the boundary and getting his feet in. That, that's kind of, it's a strange specialty to have, but that really is kind of his, uh, the biggest thing that he brings to the table. And then um, the last guy to really keep an eye on as far as receivers go is Khalif Raymond. Um, he did not play this week with a concussion. He is probably going to return this week, but he is their kick, kick returner, punt returner, and he is their deep, deep threat in this offense. He's got, really good speed. He's a much smaller guy. I think he's in the, you know, five, eight, five, nine, uh, probably 170 pounds range. Um, but he can really fly and he's good at tracking the ball once he gets downfield. So he hasn't had very many receptions this year, right? I mean, I I'm seeing him for less than a hundred snaps here. Yes. Yeah. He does not play a lot, but when he does play, he is a guy that they are going to send deep. Okay. All right, very good. Now, we talked a little bit about the tight end position. There's a lot of change at the tight end position for the Titans this year. You mentioned Jonu Smith. Who's healthy for this game and who's not? So, uh, Delaney Walker will not be playing. They put him on IR ending his season. Um, Really, I think it was around week 11 or week 12, um, and he had been out. He's actually – his final game this season was Tannehill's first game. Uh, in so much of this run, this explosion of offense that we've seen from the Titans has come without Delaney Walker. Um, and some could argue that he is his removal from the offense has allowed some of these other pieces to flourish. And uh, Johnny Smith is a big part of that. He his numbers aren't going to be crazy. Uh, he, he's only going to get probably three or four targets a game most of the time. But he does make those targets count, and they love to get him on these little tight end screens and, and things like that. He's a guy to watch if the Titans get into third and long type situations. They love to just dump it to Johnny Smith and let him make something happen after the catch. Um, he's another guy, and again, beating the dead horse, but he's another guy that is an absolute yak monster. Um, he's a load to bring down. He runs like a running back. Um, and when you get him out in the open field, he's very, very good. The Titans actually, when Derrick Henry was really kind of hobbled with his hamstring injury that he was dealing with, uh, towards the end of the season, the Titans actually put Johnny Smith in the backfield a couple of times and let him gave him the ball on a couple just, uh, pitch plays as a running back. And he actually broke a, a 60-yard run against the Texans um, out of the backfield. So he is a, an absolute load to bring down. But he is, uh, he, it's been fun to watch him kind of grow up because he came in uh, to the league as a pretty raw but toolsy guy. He's, he's one of Mike Brabel's favorite players because of his work ethic. Um, and he is a guy that uh, has really kind of come into his own this season and has is, is become a real threat in the Titans passing attack. Okay, so 80% catch rate almost for John o. Smith, 35 out of 44 is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on here because we've got to be a little bit respectful of time, but we're doing great. Um, uh, running backs, he talked a little bit about, and he also talked a little bit about where, what personnel they run to like like to run out of being somewhat team dependent. 
dependence or opponent dependent. I, I take that to mean. Yes. Uh, so I, 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 I look forward to seeing how that plays out. We got a little bit more coming out later this week on exactly that topic. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave anything else about the running backs in the green room and move okay. to the defensive side of the ball here. And the first question I always like to ask is what's the, really their common base pass defense look. So third and seven, third and six, what defense can we expect to be on the field for the Titans? So it, it is mostly uh, what I would consider big nickel um, for the Titans. They will bump uh, Rashawn Evans down and let him rush uh, in the interior. They'll have Harold Landry. And now it is, uh, it's been kind of a rotating cast ever since Cameron Wake went down with an injury. But Derek Roberson uh, is an undrafted rookie free agent who's really emerged uh, late in the season. He had two sacks against uh, the Saints and then another sack against the Texans in the last two weeks, which were his first two games of the season. So um, he's made a big impact in a short period of time, and I would expect him to be the primary third-down rusher opposite Harold Landry in the Titans four-man typical pass rush front. The other guy joining Rashawn Evans on the inside will be Jarrell Casey. Um, They will sometimes bump Casey actually out to the outside and let him edge rush, which he's shockingly good at for a guy that's you know six one, three hundred pounds he doesn't look like your typical edge rusher but he's got a, a real ability to bend and, and work his hands on the outside that gives him a little bit of a threat out there so um yeah i would expect that to be the front and then at linebacker uh they will usually pair Jayon brown with safety uh kenny vaccaro um really will play a linebacker role on third so down. Yeah. 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 Kind of. Yeah. It's really a, yeah, I'm sorry. Big dime. Um, so it'll, it'll be Vaccaro and then they'll put Amani hooker, uh, their third safety kind of in a, in a pairing with Bayard, uh, back deep. And then of course with, with Logan Ryan, uh, you'll see, um, Adoree Jackson outside Adoree Jack or Adoree Jackson will be one of the outside corners. Uh, Logan Ryan will cover the slot and then you'll have, uh, um, Tremaine Brock, uh, their waiver claim from the Arizona Cardinals late in the season will be the other corner uh, replacing Malcolm Butler's spot who uh, got injured early this season. Okay. All right. And it looks like Tremaine Box played, played fairly well since he came to the Titans at least. Yeah. And... He's been a, a pleasant surprise, especially the last uh, couple games. He struggled early on, but he really started to come on uh against the saints he had a nice game and then last week he was actually excellent he uh gave up uh just two catches um against the patriots on 10 targets um so he was really good he actually was the player who deflected the pass that logan ryan ultimately picked in return for the touchdown mm-hmm. uh to to end the game uh in new england so he's he's been really good here lately but he would be the guy out of the out of the Secondary, uh, he would be the guy that I would target first if I was the Ravens. Okay. All right. Now, one thing I, I thought I saw in the game was, did Jayon Brown suffer some sort of injury? He did. He suffered a shoulder injury and left the game. Now, afterwards, he did say, they did say that x-rays came back negative. Um, and he he was seen leaving the locker room without any sort of sling or anything like that that would suggest a uh, clavicle or a torn pec or any of the other kind of major issues that we were thinking it might have been, uh, when we saw it happen live, but, um, we don't know what his prognosis is going to be. He is a critical part 
of uh, the Titans defense, particularly the pass defense. Um, he's one of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL that, that a lot of people haven't really heard of. Um, but he, uh, he makes a massive difference for them. And, um, for what it's worth, he said he is quote unquote good to go when he was leaving the locker room. (laughs) We will see what that looks like this week. The practice reports will be interesting to watch for him. Now let's talk about Jan Brown for a middle bit, for a little bit as a run defender. He's a tad smallish, not not extraordinarily small, because you see some guys now down to six feet two twenty in the league. Right. But he's at six feet two twenty six. The Ravens have a Wasso who's who's in that two twenty range. That has been a real problem in dealing with bigger backs. How has Jayon been in terms of his run defense versus some offenses that like to throw their muscle around? Yeah, so he is he's definitely the. Um, Kind of, I don't want to say the weak link because he is a really good player. But as far as a run defender, that is not that's not his strength. Um, he's I wouldn't go so far as to call him a liability necessarily. And he is a good tackler, um, but he does struggle sometimes getting around and dealing with guards um, if they're able to get into into his body. Um, he is he he just doesn't have the hold up strength to be able to really play physical in there against the, the bigger offensive linemen. So um, he is, he is an opportunity to, to run at if you can get, uh, get, get him isolated against an offensive lineman. All right. How about in terms of the pass rush scheme for, for, uh, you know, do they rush the four they show? Do they, do they put five at the line, typically drop one. If they drop one, is it only a Sam linebacker? Do they blitz a lot from off the line of scrimmage? What, what do the Titans do? Uh, and we had Dean Pease, of course, in Baltimore for six years, so we know he's he's was far less aggressive than either Ryan or Martindale has been. Yeah, he um, he's been very creative in Tennessee. He is uh, he hasn't had the benefit of having a really true standout pass rusher uh, here. You know his. Uh, Darrell Casey is a good interior rusher, um, not a great interior rusher. Um, and then Harold Landry is a good uh, edge rusher, not a great edge rusher. So I think Pease has been forced into some creativity as far as generating pressure. He really throws a mixed bag out uh, as far as who he brings and who he drops. Harold Landry they like him a lot, and he hardly ever comes off the field because of the fact that he can drop into coverage and be a credible cover linebacker. Um, so they will not always rush Landry, even though he is their best edge rusher. Uh, Roberson, the new newer edge rusher that has just been called up off the, the practice squad, um, is similar. He's a very good athlete. Uh, he can drop if they need him to. Um they love to bring Evans as, as an interior rusher. Like I said, they love to run games uh, with between Evans and Casey, uh, kind of twisting and stunning on the inside. And then uh, the the biggest thing that you'll notice about Pease is he loves to bring his defensive backs, and he's got a really good trio of blitzing defensive bla- defensive backs here from the Titans. Logan Ryan may be the best blitzing corner uh, in the NFL. He had four and a half sacks this season um, and is really, really good at timing up a corner blitz uh, from his slot position. They love to keep him near the line of scrimmage so they can disguise that and bring him from time to time. Kenny Vaccaro is the same way. They send him a lot, and they will 
occasionally send some double safety blitzes with both Picaro mm-hmm. and and Kevin Byard uh, firing from the secondary. So they bring a whole slew of combinations uh, as far as blitzes go, and they rarely just straight up rush four uh, on third down situations. They're going to bring somebody from somebody from the se- somebody from somewhere at the second level. Pease was, I thought, very undervalued as a Ravens defensive coordinator in terms of his ability to adjust the dial up the pressure to an appropriate level for the opponent. Uh, what, what we have here in Baltimore now with Martindale, he's a master of snap management. And basically, because the Ravens are built back to front and they don't have any superb pass rushers, Judon is a good edge rusher, but he's not a great one. And they don't have anybody else who's even good. Uh, they really have to do most of what they do by scheme. So they either have to rush numbers to get it, or they have to rush from different vectors by dropping people. And they have a couple outstanding Sam linebackers that allow them to do that. But it's been a big differentiation. I did, in fact, we had an analytics forum here in town, and and one of the presentations I did was on uh, the differences between Pease, uh, Rex Ryan way back when, and Wink Martindale in his first year in terms of of looking at those three. But it sounds like uh, Pease has continued to do a pretty good job of adjusting for the opponent in terms of the scheme needed. He does, yeah, and and that's something that I think Brable has contributed to as well. You see some elements of what Brable did in Houston. You know, obviously his one year as defensive coordinator for Houston was not very successful as far as uh, results go for the Texans. They they finished I think thirtieth or thirty first in the league in scoring defense. But there are some elements that Brable has brought with him um, as far as pass rush and and blitz packages go he likes to Rabel really loved that diamond front look with with five uh five rushers kind of lined up across from the five offensive linemen dictating matchups and then dropping one off or bringing bringing an extra guy and there's still elements of that that has kind of been mixed in with with kind of what Pease did in Baltimore but it's been interesting to see them kind of blend their styles and uh they are capable of really when their defensive backfield is healthy. And that's been a big problem over the back half of the season. They were, they lost Malcolm Butler uh, in week nine um, against the Panthers. And then they lost to Dory Jackson uh, against the Colts uh, in that game. And the Patriots game was the first game that Jackson was actually back on the field. Um, and he, he makes a huge difference. Dory Jackson has been, um, probably undervalued as far as uh, a cover corner. Um, But his absence kind of made his presence that much more noticeable (laughs) Um, because we saw what, what this defense can look like when they don't have good coverage on the back end. And uh, Adoree's return last week was a big help in, in what they did to the Patriots defensively. All right. Very good. Just looking here at the at the Titans sack numbers for the year, finishing at 43. Certainly not a bad uh, number in terms of, of sacks for the year, 13th in the in the league. Uh, okay, uh, what else would you tell us about the front? I guess one of the questions we want to really okay, you know what? I, I need to ask about this first. In terms of rotation along the defensive front, how do they handle that? That's something that that we're impressed with in Baltimore with how Martindale handles it. Pease was a rotational guy when he was in Baltimore. Are they a rotational team, or have they moved on from that? They they are still rotational. Now, Jarrell Casey and Harold Landry stay on the field a lot. 
uh, Landry almost never comes out. He, he plays, you know, 80, 90% of the snaps almost every week. Um, Casey is going to be kind of more in the 60 to 70% range. Uh, but they, they do rotate. Um, they've got a couple really strong, uh, run, rundown defenders. So when they, when they go to the pass rush, it's usually that, that four pack that we talked about, um, on third downs and obvious passing downs, but on early downs, uh, the Titans actually do a lot of different stuff with regards to their front. Sometimes they'll come out in a three-man front with uh, Landry, and usually it's Kamale Correa, who you know the Ravens obviously are very familiar with um, as the outside linebackers in a kind of a more traditional three-four front. Um, and then they'll also, but then they'll also come with packages where they have more of a four-three look uh, out of a base defense that drops Landry off as a linebacker or drops Correa off as an off-ball linebacker and then brings in a defensive lineman to kind of, it's almost an unbalanced front uh, look there. So they, they'll, their primary interior defensive linemen or their, their bigger defensive linemen are Casey, uh, rookie Jeffrey Simmons, who is a first-round pick, uh, and then Daquan Jones, who is actually – their primary nose tackle. Um, and those three are really three very good players. It is uh, very difficult to get a lot of push on the interior against the Titans uh, when it comes to running the football on early downs when they're in those heavy packages. Um, Simmons in particular is an absolute load uh, in the middle of that defense. And he is living up to uh, his, his lofty draft uh, projections. So far, he's he's not been the pass rusher that, um, you know, I'm sure the Titans would like him to develop into. But as far as a rundown defender, he is very, very good. OK, uh, you know, one of the things that's that's maybe unique to the way the Ravens play football on the inside is they really look to double team both each of two inside defenders to create inside lanes while edge defenders are frozen by Lamar Jackson in the read option. Mm-hmm. And yep. so that creates a lot of opportunity in the middle of the field like that. And and part of the question, part of the thing that I think opposing defenders need to be good at is creating movement even against two guys, or maybe better yet, um, don't allow yourself to be held static by two players. Because the Ravens, if they get in, if they can get into the game where they can double team you and then allow one to combination off in for a block in level two, they've got you. Right. So. I, but Jarrell Casey, my recollection of him is he's not that kind of defender. If you leave one guy on him, you probably are going to you're, you're going to end up with him disrupting something. Yeah, he is. He is really a penetrator um, of of the three. He's the guy that is going to he's going to take some risks. He's going to shoot some gaps, things like that. He's extremely quick. Um, and, and a lot of times he will bet on himself to be able to shoot a gap and recover um if if the play goes the opposite way um so he is he's really the disruptor of the group um as far as creating penetration simmons is going to bully uh he he's 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 a guy that if you single block him he's going to push your your offensive lineman in the backfield more often than not now hmm. him against yonda is going to be a fascinating uh watch he he got the best of quentin nelson uh the one time that they matched up this year um, he folded him back a couple times, which was one of the more impressive uh, things that I've seen um, from from a Titans defender in quite quite some time, given Nelson's uh, ability. Um, but Simmons is uh, Simmons is the guy that 
if you're going to double, you, you've got to get a double on Simmons. Uh, Daquan Jones, more of a guy. He's a good hold-up run defender, but he's a guy that if you double him, he's, he's going to hold his own. He's not going to – but he's not going to be able to make plays off of a double team. Simmons mm-hmm. may be able to, but uh, the Titans have done a pretty good job of keeping him out of double teams heading up to this point. All right. Okay, so let's let's close down the defense a little bit by just asking, how do you expect the Tennessee defense to react to try and control Jackson, Brown, Andrews, Ravens run game? Just a general defensive overview of what you expect the Titans to do. So, you know, the, the Ravens are really, they're a unique animal because even if you look at other running quarterbacks, you know, so to speak, that uh, the Titans have faced, the, you know, Deshaun Watson, the, the mobile guys that, that you need to watch out for, Josh Allen. Um, they are nowhere near Jackson's level, and they are playing in offenses that are nowhere near the creativity level uh, that the Ravens have presented this year. So it, it will truly be interesting to see how Pease and Rabel uh, react to Lamar Jackson. Um, my guess is that the Titans are probably going to commit to stopping the run. And I don't think this would have been the case if, if uh, Dory Jackson had not returned, but I, I think they're going to aggressively bring guys down into the box. I think you're going to see Vaccaro in the box all day long. Him and Evans are really the physical run support thumpers in the, in this defense. I think those two, need to have a whale of a game if they're going to have a hope of stopping uh, the Ravens offense or even slowing down the Ravens offense. Um, and I think the Titans are going to be left with no choice but to leave their corners kind of on an island against the, the Ravens receivers. Um, Jackson would be the guy that I would expect to possibly shadow Brown uh, simply because of the mm-hmm. speed element. Um, Jackson has been dealing with a foot injury, so whether his top end speed is still there is hard to tell. Uh, he didn't have to run deep a whole lot uh, against the Patriots last week, so I don't I don't know how uh, how much of that speed is is back or not. But he is uh, uh, when he's right, he is able to run with uh, guys like like a Brown. Um, he he shadowed Tyree Kill most of that game. Earlier this season, Hill ended up with a, a bunch of yardage, but a lot of that came off of screens and zone uh, and, and some plays against zone where it wasn't necessarily him one-on-one against Jackson. Um, so that would be my expectation would be that the Titans follow Brown with Jackson, uh, commit heavily to stopping the run and hope that they're able to defend um, you know, Andrews and, and some of these other pass-catching options. Uh, adequately enough, and, and maybe hope to get a turnover or two out of the out of the Ravens at some point. You know, they, I think that's what it's going to take for them to win this game. I, I don't think you're going to be able to uh, to stop the Ravens without committing extra players to the running game. All right, now Dory Jackson, you mentioned, I believe it was the last time they met, actually had a run play on the very first play of the game. Yes. Uh, it might, might not have been that game, it might have been the year before, but whatever it was, it was a uh, it was an interesting usage of your top cornerback to to <laughs> put him in there in a, on a on a run play. Yeah, uh, that was uh, that was under Malarkey. Uh, Vrabel has not played; they haven't used Jackson as a offensive player at all, actually, uh, since Vrabel's been here. All right, Vrabel himself, of course, a defender who had a lot of offensive touchdowns. Uh, personally, yeah. might have had 
might have had 10 TDs in his career. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us at a high level about this game that, that you're seeing? You know, oh, I do want to ask you, well, who's the player you think matches up best against the Ravens? So I think really, you know, and, and it's a pretty straightforward answer, but I really think it's Henry. Um, I think Henry, as big and as physical as he is, you know, I, I know the Ravens tend to prefer slightly undersized linebackers. Um, really, there's no linebackers anymore that are Henry's size. Um, and he is, he's a mismatch. He's a walking mismatch into himself. He, he really is. And it's been fun to see him kind of figure that out um, over the last year and a half here. Um, so I, I think Henry is the guy uh, that the Titans need to really have a, another huge game um, if they're going to keep that, that Ravens offense off the field and really kind of keep, keep the pressure on Baltimore throughout this game. Yeah, we're coming up on what looks to be a fairly wet weather game. And I would say that anything weather related is probably negative for the Ravens, unless it's everything's clear and cold. That's perfect. But we're having, you're talking about temperatures around 60 degrees for the game. And we're talking rain that day. And if that happens, Jackson has had reduced if effectiveness all the times he's had to play in rain. And it just it takes away space, usable space on the field for him. And, uh, you know, that that obviously is one of the, my big fears in terms of how could the Ravens get knocked out of the playoffs in a, in a way that they can't don't really have any control over. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I would agree that the rain would would likely uh, favor the Titans. The Titans, you know, Henry is is such a big part of their offense, but if if you end up in a game where it really does become, you know, a slugfest, Henry has had a lot of success in in rainy, messy weather before. Um, they played the Giants in a, a deluge last year, and and he ran all over them. Uh, they there were you know obviously rain uh, in in New England this past uh, game, and and he had a, a huge day. So he's. Uh, he is built for that kind of weather. And I think the Titans would love for this to become a sloppy, uh, you know, grinded out kind of football game. All right. Well, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Where, where can people find your work and your, uh, your Twitter? Yeah. So uh, check out uh, my writing at musiccitymiracles.com. I will have an all 22 review of both the Titans and uh, the Titans defense and offense against the Patriots this week. I'm hoping to get into a little bit of uh, tape breakdown for the Ravens as well, if anybody wants to check that out. So musiccitymiracles.com there. And then uh, on Twitter, uh, at Mike Miracles, um, you can check me out uh, Check me out there. All right. Fantastic, Mike. Great to have you on. And this will be posted uh, at filmstudybaltimore.com. And uh, make sure you give us a visit for other other features this week. We're, uh, we're planning to still have Teron Davenport on for another specific uh, uh, get together a little bit later. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we appreciate you. We, we want to make sure we have you on again anytime the, the Titans face the Ravens, Michael. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me.
Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.